today for anyone who had any tech issues and couldn't join us in the traditional lobby space or through that space and just for anyone who couldn't make it because you know life is life and so I wanted to make sure you had access to this information and for this session we have Rob Aquino he's going to talk to us today about our favorite favorite topic money (laughs) (laughs) knowing your numbers he's gonna give us a guide to understanding our business financials and I'm going to let him introduce himself. I'll be here behind the scenes um, working on the chat and the Q&A. So for everyone here, please jump into the chat, engage with each other, share ideas, links, aha moments with anything that Rob says. And if you have a question, put it in the Q&A box so that we don't miss it if the chat moves too fast. And I'll be here for anything any of you need. Rob. Take it away. Introduce yourself. I didn't really introduce Thank you. Thank you, Jackie. Um, I'm Robinson Aquino. Everybody usually calls me Rob. Um, I am the chief operating officer and chief financial officer of an accounting and tax firm north of Boston called JBS. Um, I joined JBS formally last year, pretty much because of COVID. Prior to that, I was a consultant at JBS but I also ran a full-time firm out of Northwestern Mutual Wealth Management, where I acted as a financial advisor on behalf of about 250 clients. So Jackie said, an exciting topic, money. It certainly is for me. And it has been for the last 12 years or so, as I've studied it uh, pretty deeply. I know that it's not exciting for others because I built 2000 or so financial plans And after you have conversations about money with over 2000 people, you learn a lot about what people think, what people don't think about. um, And the fact that most of money is taught in the household. There's no formal curriculum or education in school, whether it's high school or university, it doesn't matter. I studied finance and accounting uh, in college and I didn't get a great education on my personal finances. I just happened to learn about things like micro macroeconomics, foreign exchange markets, all great things, uh, but they didn't really help me rob Aquino as a person. So after college, I dove pretty deep in personal finance. Um, You know, I completed my certified financial planning curriculum. Um, I, I focused heavily on tax and accounting planning, specifically working with small business owners transitioning generational wealth uh, from mom and dad to kids. Um, So I did a lot of that cool work. And now I find myself running a tax company of about 25 people between employees and and independent contractors. And it's been fun. We've been growing dramatically. Um, We help people across the board with tax, bookkeeping, controller, CFO work, as well as payroll, uh, which can be a pain in, in compliance. And so I'm very happy to be here. It's not, I'm not used to keynotes because I prefer kind of conversations and interview style. So I hope you guys use the chat to ask a lot of questions because I will answer any question you have in the next you know, 15 minutes or so. I did prepare a presentation just because um, sometimes it can help while you're hearing to also be able to visualize and see what we're talking about. 
I'm going to try to take it as slow as I possibly can, because I know for some of you, this might seem uh, elementary, but I know for others, it might seem like you're about to get a PhD in accounting. So what I'm going to talk about today is, is the same fundamentals that I learned in Financial Accounting 101. That's the college course. Um, and the beautiful thing about that course, for anyone that has or hasn't taken it, is it's pretty much all you need to understand to run a small business. Every accounting course after that was really what you needed to understand to run a really big business. So, you know, I, I try to tell everybody to try to educate themselves at least on financial accounting. Um, the rest is pretty much running a business and, and somewhat common sense. Um, and I like to hear that, Catherine, how do you say your name? Catherine. That's what, Catherine. Yeah, she went to school for the same things and was a little bit disappointed at the fact that they didn't teach her how to manage her own money, um, which is unfortunate. But, you know, when I was a financial advisor, um, it was good because then you needed people like me to help you manage it. And certain things can be really simple, like putting together a budget. You don't need a professional for that. And other things could be very complicated, like putting together a stock and bond portfolio when you have 25,000 options on stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. So, you know, definitely know your numbers and what you should know, but also know when to call in the expert and how to hire someone who's not gonna break the bank, because that's very important too. Is that a fair introduction, Jackie? That's good, good. All right, I'm gonna jump right in. Can everybody see this okay? I can in the chat, give me a thumbs up or a yes. If you're here, you're alive, you see the screen. And, um, and if you're scared of finance, it's okay to share that and tell us why. <laughs> and if you're yep. excited about this conversation, it's okay to share that in the chat and tell us why. Yep. And while, you, while we talk about this, um, think about your business, because I'm going to talk to you guys about the fundamentals. Think about what the fundamentals mean for your business. And if you have any questions along the way, Jackie or I will spot them. We'll catch a good one. We'll ask your permission to use it as, a, as an example. And then we'll jump into it because sometimes talking through something a little bit more practical and more tangible is easier than discussing hypotheticals. So we're going to talk about the big two statements. I know that Catherine's probably going to call me out on the big three. But I don't think we need to dive into the statement of cash flows. I think if we can just focus on the profit and loss statement, which in accounting we call the income statement, and then follow up with the balance sheet, this is really what you need to start to get comfortable with in knowing your numbers. And even if you work with an accountant, it's awesome that they know your numbers, but they are not the ones making day-to-day -day business decisions. So it's radically important for you to understand your numbers. Okay, it's not enough for the financial professional to know your business. There's a level of responsibility that you need to take as well, or else you're just going to make decisions poorly informed. Okay, so the P&L is pretty simple. We call it the P&L. Um, it carries your revenues, your cost of goods sold. The, the subtraction of your cost of goods sold on your revenues is what gives us our gross profit, which I'm calling KPI number one. KPI stands for Key Performance Indicator, okay? Then after we have your gross profit, we're gonna subtract your operating expenses and we'll dive into what that means. 
the net of that is gonna give us your EBITDA, which is a really weird number. I threw EBITDA here and not net income right away because I don't know if some of you guys are large enough where you need to consider EBITDA as opposed to just net income, but we'll get to that. Uh, EBITDA stands for earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. And people actually like to know what their profit is before they pay interest and taxes and depreciate. So, you know, some people that will not be relevant for, I'd say if you're over a million dollars in revenue, or if you already have debt on your balance sheet, whether that's credit card debt or small business loan, you need to be paying attention to EBITDA. Um, and then obviously once we subtract that interest taxes, depreciation and amortization, that's what gives us our net income. And that's the true profit margin. So the EBITDA margin is the second KPI you need to be paying attention to. And then your true margin, your net income is the third KPI. That net income is also what you end up paying income tax on. So very important for you to understand when you file your tax return, because that's where they get you. So we're gonna start from the top. Everybody knows what revenue is. We call it sales. Revenue is cash that derives from selling a product or a service, okay? Those are really the only two types of business you could be in. Um, you are either selling some sort of product that, that requires raw material to, to get to the end product, or you're offering a service. And then in that case, the raw material is intellectual property, right? It's like I offer a service. The cost of goods sold for me is the intellectual property that I have in understanding so much about finance, accounting, economics, et cetera. So the revenue is pretty straightforward. Nobody should be confused about that. If you are, you have big problems. And if you're not tracking your revenue properly, you have big problems because people sometimes, their definition of accounting is just logging into the bank account every day and wondering if the number went up or down. And that's not proper accounting, okay? So that's revenue. Then there's your cost of goods sold, which is the expense tied directly to revenue. So if you are a product-based business, that is your raw material. If I'm selling lemonade at a lemonade stand, that's my lemons, that's my sugar, that's my cups, and sometimes the individuals that I have to pay to make that lemonade if I'm not making it myself, okay? So those are the expenses that are directly tied to the revenue and the product very important to know how to differentiate that because that's going to give you your gross profit. And the reason that's key performance indicator number one for me is I was talking to Carly before a lot of you joined Carly Alvarez, now Carly, my wife. And, um, and she was talking about 10,000 ideas, right? She's got these 10,000 business ideas and she's excited about a bunch of them. Um, this one is a great way to get rid of 90% of them because there's a lot of great ideas out there that are not businesses today and probably have no business becoming businesses because the gross profit margin is too low, okay? If all of a sudden the price of lemons triple, I don't wanna be in the lemonade business anymore because unless I can convince my clients who were used to paying a dollar for a cup of lemonade to pay three, I'm not in good business. Okay, understanding your profit, your gross profit margin is basically going to tell you how viable is this business? Because remember, 
I've only paid for the lemons, the sugar and the water. I haven't paid myself. If my mom's gonna rent the driveway to me, I haven't paid my rent or utilities. I haven't paid any bills except for the things that I needed to go run, to go sell the product. So this is a great way uh, to figure out, is this product scalable? Can this grow? Is this really more of a side hustle so I can make a little bit of money and maybe the margin's good enough for it to be a side hustle, but it's absolutely not good enough to grow a $250,000 revenue business. Um, I'm happy to hear that Lorraine has someone because that's so important. And Lorraine, um, if you don't mind letting me know a little bit about your business, I think Jackie was telling me earlier. Um, and if you can give me a thumbs up on kind of giving an example of how this works in your industry, I'd love to do that. So. And also, how do you compensate your bestie? Because your bestie is your bestie right now, but we can't. <laughs> Just wondering, um, how do you make the relationship Whoa. work long term uh, for any of us who do have accountants who are our besties and help us in our businesses? And if she's not here, then we can talk real serious about that. She is here. Uh, hi. What what product does Lorraine have? She um, has the. Oh. Did you see it? She has Leaf Fit Essentials and okay. um, it's the, it's workout office outfits that look wonderful and also uh, exercise equipment like bands that I'm going to confess, I really need to buy and try. Awesome. That's cool, Lorraine, because I actually have studied Lululemon extensively. Um, I'm a big fan of the, the founder and former CEO. And so this is fantastic and it's a great industry to be in, obviously. Um, so for you, Lorraine, this is pretty straightforward. Your revenue is the sale of the product. Your cost of goods sold is the material that you have to buy, the, excuse me, the manufacturing process, the shipping, the handling. Um, there's a lot of things involved in, in creating apparel that can then be sold to the end consumer. And that's actually a business. Every, every industry carries different margins, specifically gross profit margins. So that's an industry that's very competitive um, and obviously one that the more you make, right? As you scale up, the gross profit margin should get better because if you're buying material in bulk, you could generally get it cheaper per unit. So it's fantastic um, that you're in that business and you need to be paying attention to your gross profit because you know your business could get to the point where based on how good the gross profit is, you consider, all right, should I do my own manufacturing? Am I storing my own inventory in a warehouse? Am I renting space? And that's a little bit more operating expense, but the higher gross profit margin you have, the more flexibility you have to build better operating budgets so that you can run a more successful company. Because operating expense is not just about, you know, keeping it as cheap as possible. But sometimes it's about spending money to run a better business, a business that provides better product, better customer support, service, and delivery, right? So sometimes you need to take a hit on your margins, on your profit margins, in order to deliver the excellence and the product that you want to deliver. And that's what's going to, over a long period of time, generate better sales. So it's very important for you to know these numbers as per unit, as per week, per month, per year, 
because that's all telling you things that you'll learn from the trends of your business over time. As revenues increase and certain cost of goods sold and operating expenses increase with it, that is creating business intelligence for you to make better decisions in the future. And I'm not sure exactly where you're at with your business, Lorraine, but you know, you might be thinking about perhaps negotiating with the people who are providing you raw materials or negotiating with the manufacturer who may be here or overseas. And obviously the higher the revenue, the higher the volume, the more leverage you hold in negotiation. That, that's great advice and um, pro props to Lorraine who I put a comment in the chat because she pays her friend by providing support for her friend's business. And so that's the bartering system to help. And I also wanted to point out, we have a few other financial folks in the chat who can chime in in the comment section or the chat, I should say, um, with any questions or additional tips. And we do have, uh, we have one person who sells a service, consulting service, strengths-based, Vicky Gooded. We have a musician uh, here, Hunter Beneficial. We also have uh, HR person. We have someone who um, does consulting along with me as well on the dissertation side. Um, so if, if I didn't do a shout out to, oh, we have someone who does journals and in the session before candles, we have all kinds of products and services and people who could really benefit from this. Yep. And my team is so open to having consultations and conversations. We don't charge for it. We really just want to get to know as many industries as possible. I don't think there's an industry outside of the commodities industry, which is, you know, raw goods like gold and oil and rice and coffee. Um, that's about the only industry we haven't touched and will not touch. Uh, we do work with nonprofits, though we know people who specialize in that area a little bit better. Um, but we basically have worked with every service and product-based industry. And then the cool thing about it is we learn so much from each client that we get to integrate it into our systems and feedback any, um, any progress or extra benefits that we pick up to all of our clients. So no matter what, what I've learned from my, my six, six and a half years as a financial advisor is it's great to talk about this conceptually and educationally, just like Empowerment Through Education says, uh, but when providing financial advice, you have to be very careful to provide it to the person you're speaking to and make sure you know their holistic financial situation before providing advice. So I don't provide any advice until I know you. So if you want to get to know each other, that'd be awesome. Um, outside of this, yeah, yeah, always. And then, you know, we'll, I have a fantastic team of people who have worked in the public accounting space and people who are high tech savvy uh, and we're very innovative for accountants. We're not like your mom and dad's accountant. Uh, we work very, very differently. We use software as a service here. Uh, we're very specialized with our, with our technologies here. So I'd be excited to learn more about your business and see where we can help. Um, when we think about the KPIs specifically, I wanna give you guys a couple examples here because these three are three of the most important when it comes to the profit and loss statement because they represent healthy or unhealthy margins. And you know, I spend a lot of time with clients and sometimes I have to tell clients though they think they're successful because they have tens of thousands a month in revenue. Once we start diving into these margins, sometimes I uncover that the clients are losing money 
and they're not even aware that their business is operating at a loss. So, you know, gross profit margin is where you start because generally any business that's about to go under or that picked up good traction but couldn't fo follow through with success, it's because their gross profit margin was too low to begin with. And there's only a couple of ways to fix gross profit margin. It's either increase your revenues, which may or may not work in the marketplace, or find a way to drive costs down. And again, that's something that may work for you, but depending on the industry you're in, the cost of goods sold, it may not. We just saw a very interesting supply chain issue happen with, with COVID and the prices of lumber, just to name one example, skyrocketed. And general contractors looked at each other and they said, it's just not even worth building. So they stopped building new houses because their gross profit margin was trashed. And they understand, well, I'm not gonna get a client to pay 800,000 for a house that was just going for 500. Maybe I can get them at six, 650. But for me to run my business smoothly and to meet my gross profit margins, I need them to buy at 800. And if that's not possible, then I'm just not gonna build. I'm gonna pivot my business to renovations. And that happens. Uh, that happens when we're in depressed economic markets. That happens when we're in healthy economic markets. So you have to pay attention to your gross profit margin. If you're a startup or thinking about starting up, that's perfect because this is the time where you need to start challenging your gross profit margin and running some kind of risk assessments to say, hey, you know, if my product, if these lemons that I need to build my lemonade increase 20%, what does that do to my business? And, you know, that's modeling that you can do on a napkin and with a pen. That's not very complicated math. Um, so for anyone that, that needs help with that, it's as simple as looking at what you're buying your raw material for, if you sell a product, trying to add in any labor costs, shipping costs, manufacturing onto that. And then that's your gross margin relative to what you can sell that product for. If you're selling a product for two bucks, costs you 50 cents to get the cost of goods sold, 20, uh, 50 cents to, for labor and materials, that's a dollar, right? That's a 50% gross profit margin, which means every time you sell something, 50 cents goes to the cost of goods sold. And you have 50 cents left over for profit and for operating expense. 50%, that's a good place to be. 20%, not so much before you've even paid yourself or your rent. Um, when I say pay yourself, I know entrepreneurs who believe they're successful, but are not considering the fact that they're working 60 hours a week. And when you start to do some math on 60 hours a week, even at minimum wage or 15 bucks an hour, then they're losing money. So it's like, wait a second, is math telling us that unless something changes in your business, you're better off getting a job. And that is the, the real reality for a lot of entrepreneurs. I, I love that comment because in the session before, we, we talked a lot about foundational aspects of small businesses. And one of them is considering whether it's a main hustle, a side hustle, a side hustle that'll become your main hustle and you could quit your job. And sometimes we don't want to quit the job because this side hustle doesn't generate a lot of profit, but we're passionate about it. So we still need to pay our bills. 
Um, so you have to decide what you want to do with your life, your goals, and then decide on your business goals and then determine what makes sense for this pricing and, and what products and services you sell, what mix of products and services you sell. Yep. You know, I'm an entrepreneur, so I, I got two businesses, two side hustles, some real estate, decent amount of real estate. And so, you know, every business has to stay at scale that makes sense to that business. So like I have a consulting company and the reason I don't double down on that consulting company is because I do it and I do things that I enjoy and there's no true cost of goods sold except my time and it's a virtual business. So guess what? I get to go make a few thousand bucks a month just spending time with people that I enjoy. Obviously my time is money, so I need to be compensated for it. But there is no growth profit margin. If I receive a thousand bucks, that's a thousand, that's a hundred percent gross profit margin besides my time. And because I don't have any operating expenses, because I have no employees, no rent, no nothing, um, essentially everything that comes into me is net profit on a cash flow perspective. So that's fine. If I go try to build that to a five million dollar business. It may not work out because obviously one consultant's not going to cut it. So now I got to go hire consultants. Those are highly paid people. So now I got to increase my prices. Clients might not like that. And the whole thing might collapse on itself. So, so, you know, I understand the swim lane for that business. It's for me to make a few thousand bucks a month extra. And I'm going to keep it there until the business makes sense to do so other, to do something different. So it's good to know your business and know your scalability. Um, I wanted to hear, did Maria tell us what she's doing? Uh, tell us more. Oh, she's on Custom Goods. I think Maria yeah. Candles, right, Maria? Claudia's, Claudia's very right with keeping an eye on the margin while paying your worth. And Claudia, I don't mind sweat equity, right? If you have to pay yourself under minimum wage to get the business off the ground or even pay yourself nothing, that's fine. It's the... It's the cost of doing business. I've started up businesses from the ground before. I know what it's like to borrow money from credit cards, to borrow money from your parents because you don't know when money's coming in. Um, but if you believe that that could happen for three, five years, then you're in the wrong business. If you're putting in the time to build something that can then be very lucrative, that's fine. Take your loss, right? Pay yourself under what you believe you're worth. But don't do that for years on end. That's just bad business. Mm -hmm. Maria good. makes scented candles so Maria I also have a client two clients who make candles and so you know you have to think about everything from the glass container that the wax is being poured into to the wax to the scented oils um, to the to the stickers that are going to carry your branding and marketing all of that is cost of goods sold to you and from an accounting perspective the easiest way to track cost of goods sold is by vendor because you're buying the glass usually from the same person and the marketing stickers from the same person and the wax from the same couple people. So if you just track how much you're paying to each of these vendors, then that's your cost of goods sold. Right? It doesn't have to be more complicated than that. Obviously, some people like to try to track it per candle. But when you're small, that kind of information is not as important as knowing how much are you paying for all of these goods that you need to produce the candle? And then versus how much revenue are these candles bringing in? That, it, it could be that simple and it could be that simple for a while. 
And it's really not until you get to the several thousand in sales before you consider, all right, how much is each candle costing me? And how much am I selling each candle? Because if you're several thousand in sales, you should be able to buy more wax and more scented candles. And everybody knows more volume means cheaper price per unit, right? Whether that's milliliters or, you know, gallons, whatever your units are. Um, I see a very active chat and I like that. <laughs> I also put our email addresses in there because I realized this is a lot of information and later on you might be thinking about your business and have a question from this session, any other session, our first session on the foundations. So you have both our email addresses there and that's also available in other places in the lobby. The lobby is open. So after the session, in between sessions, for seven days after the event, you can jump into the lobby chat room and write anything and share anything there as well. Yep. And if you send me an email, um, Estefania, who's just been fantastic on my team, is scrubbing all of my emails. So she's here and she knows that you're here too. So if you send me an email, she'll catch it right away and send you, um, send you options on my calendar for the next few weeks. And we'll chat. Let's just have a chat. Uh, if we walk away from it thinking, hey, you're great, but I'm all set, then that's totally fine. It's always nice to meet someone new. Always nice to hear a new business idea. I invest in businesses all the time. So you never know. Um, back to this too, Maria. Imagine if you were seeing a report like this and it was with your business data, right? Imagine you were seeing, oh, that pen's really ugly. Um, <laughs> your revenue say 10K and your cost of goods sold say 5K and you were seeing all of this broken out on a monthly basis. There's one thing to look at an example like this, but it's something entirely different to look at your business numbers and really understand it, but never had have seen it in such a way so well summarized so that you can better understand your business because it takes data like that to determine when the right time is to go full-time in this, or when the right time is to hire your first part-time help or your first full-time help, or to find space because your garage is full of candles and your family's just not having it anymore, right? These are the things that you need. You need this information in order to know whether or not you can afford a storage container so that you can move all these candles out of your garage. Without knowing your numbers, how do you know that you're getting yourself into the right debt or investment or expense you know you can't build a budget imagine if you try to build a budget for your family and you didn't know how much your paycheck was going to come in for or you didn't understand you know okay i get paid weekly but taxes are taken out so this is how much i get a week and there's usually four weeks in a month so this is what i'm playing with and then there's my rent like without those numbers you couldn't do anything you couldn't build a budget you just be guessing based on a bank balance and that's, that's not a good place to be. Um, it's best to be forward thinking when it comes to think, things like this. Uh, just like meal prep, right? If you're, if you're training for a competition, you're not gonna wake up thinking, what am I gonna eat today? Or else you're not gonna have a very successful competition, right? You need to wake up thinking, all right, I have meals for the next four days in my fridge. So two days from now, I should probably get cooking again or else I'm gonna run out and then I'm gonna start to fall behind on my prep. It's, it's any, anything that requires discipline um, is going to require pretty much the same tactic for you to think ahead, 
for you to know your data and for you to plan accordingly and, and carry good habits. Chanel's keeping everything on QuickBooks. That's awesome. Um, again, Chanel, what you can find is sometimes QuickBooks is great. Sometimes it can be very challenging. And sometimes just knowing someone who understands QuickBooks and having them take a peep every month, three months, even every year is fantastic because I know people who are running their books really well by themselves, but there are certain things that because they're not trained accountants, they just don't know, or they might think they're doing right and they're making a couple of mistakes. So, you know, leverage a professional, even if you have to pay them a few hundred or a few thousand bucks, depending on the size of your business, it may very well be worth it, especially if you're overpaying in income tax, which I see it all the time. Um, Chanel, I believe that you should not be looking for a financial advisor, but you should be looking for a proper accountant to make sure that you have everything done properly so that when you make your first sale, you start, you start out of the gate not making mistakes in your accounting. And that's literally an introduction to an accountant. Maybe you pay them for an hour to look at your QuickBooks and talk about some ideas. And that's not gonna break the bank for you, but it could potentially save you thousands in taxes by having that conversation. I see a couple, Maria's got a lengthy one. You wanna walk through that? Yeah, that one actually is very interesting because she's she has a startup small business and she's already pricing. So one of the pieces is um, how do you talk to vendors because mm. you're a startup to negotiate pricing. And you know she's doing great on the essential oils and the soil wax, but not the tins and containers. So she's struggling with the aesthetic look she's looking for and try to make things affordable. And I'm assuming Maria, without having to buy 10,000 units um, yeah. every month, because that's usually how they try to get you to, uh, how to give you a lower price. Yeah. Um, so that's that's the big one, is negotiating those prices when you're a startup and, and you don't have those large quantities. It, that's a great question, Maria. So um, I always like to start with a sample of the product because that is usually given for free. And if you're reaching out to these individuals and vendors strategically, asking for a sample because you want to bring them business, it shows seriousness in the relationship. Then once you have that sample, you can really dive deep into it, see what you like, what you don't like, provide that feedback and say, you know, I'd be interested in buying in bulk, but I got to see how it works with my product. So I'd like to start with 100. What are your rates for 100 units? And then while you're there, could you mind, would you mind sharing your rates for 500, 1,000, 2,000, et cetera? Once you have that sheet in your hand, Maria, now you know what you're working with, right? Now it's time to negotiate. And you might come to the conclusion that it's not worth it, right? That 10 might not be the right thing for your product, the right uh, container. And it may be, but when you're buying 2,000 at a time or 10,000 at a time, or you might come back and realize, well, if you want this presentation and this quality of product, you need to up your prices and you need to try to find a way to sell the candles you were thinking about selling at 4.99 at 8.99. Okay. I want to jump in there because um, it goes back to the foundational session and we talked about what you're selling and who you're selling to. And so I'm going to use the Spanx example, just because it was one of the last master classes I did. But in that example, the founder of Spanx, Spanx are pretty pricey. They started off in Nordstrom 
And what she did was she then created a high quality, low cost line, a separate line for uh, folks who shop. I don't know if it was a Walmart or a Target connection that she did. And she did a contract there. So in this case, Maria, for anyone else with a high uh, cost product, you could create it and sell it to one group. And then later you could create a spinoff version that's still aligned to your mission, vision, and story for another group at a lower margin. Um, so it, it just won't have the same look and it gives you time to experiment, but there are ways to get around this. Uh, it's part of that strategic planning for your business. Yep. Well, I see Rob fine. wants to see spreadsheets. <laughs> I, I always want to see spreadsheets. And, and Maria pointed out a great thing that I hope you guys uh, already know, but if not, I'm going to reiterate and hammer it down. If you're not running your business out of a separate bank account, even if you're just a solopreneur or it's a side hustle, it's going to be virtually impossible for you to know your numbers because it's going to be so diluted with personal expenses and personal income that it's going to be too difficult for even an accountant to get through then you're just going to end up paying way too much money for a professional to pull out all your personal expenses and all your personal income to tell you that your business may or may not be making money, right? So it's so easy to just go open a free checking account, put some money in there and make sure that everything that goes in and out of there is a business activity. And when you're ready to pay yourself, all you have to do is write a check from that checking account to your personal checking account. It's that simple. You don't have to file a form. You don't have to run payroll. When you're a solopreneur, it's really easy. You just move money from that account to your personal account. That's it. Um, okay, so we got 20 minutes here. I want to dive into my favorite of the of the uh, reports. I'm scared. Balance sheet. <laughs> well, the balance sheet is everything. And for those of you who may don't have a business now, that doesn't mean you don't have a balance sheet because you still do. Your balance sheet is called your personal financial statement. And rather than trying to calculate equity, it's calculating net worth, okay? So your balance sheet is the formula for calculating your personal net worth. For your business, it's the same thing, but rather than calculating a business's net worth, we're calculating a business's equity, okay? So I'm going to run through this. There's three things that a balance sheet is tracking. It's tracking your assets. It's tracking the liabilities or debt. And it's tracking your equity. So assets are simple, right? The purpose of an asset is to attempt to generate income, okay? So assets start with as basic as cash. They move to things like accounts receivables, which is just a fancy term for money that people owe you or money that has been invoiced for, okay? Very important to track your accounts receivable. I see people making sales all the time, but they haven't collected on their revenues yet. And so all their money is sitting in accounts receivable and they're so happy because they made so many sales. But if that cash doesn't come in, you'll be out of business soon, especially if you have expenses, right? So your accounts receivable are tracked as basically cash that's expected to come in soon. Then you buy things like inventory and supplies. You may even be making some short-term investments. Um, those are all tracked under your current assets. Current, meaning that they can pretty easily be turned to cash and they'll probably turn into cash in the next 12 months. Okay, 
That's what your asset column is. Lorraine's asking if there's a template for a free expense sheet to submit to the IRS. So what you're looking for, Lorraine, is a profit, like a template for a profit and loss statement, which yes, there are free ones. Um, I've built a couple. I don't love them. When you're small, they're good, but it sounds like you're a little too big for that, Lorraine. Um, I would try to use something like that when you're in concept and you have like a few thousand dollars in sales. But once you have a decent amount of traction and you're selling pretty consistently, I'd be looking for something like a QuickBooks or Xero uh, because that's not only going to keep track of your revenue and your expenses, but it's also going to keep track of your balance sheet. And that's something that uh, something like a spreadsheet or a cheap uh, tool, it will not do because that's double entry accounting and a little bit more complicated. So you do use QuickBooks, but you have friends looking for free resources. So yeah, I'll send Jackie my profit and loss template. That way you can get it to your friends, but just remind them that this is to get started. And once you get big enough, you want to move on to something a little bit more formal. Yeah. And I'll add um, some of these tools in my thank you email from the summit team uh, this weekend that you'll get as a follow-up with our information as well. And if, for, if you miss it, just email me and I'll get it to you. We have a question in the Q&A box, which is at which point do you reconsider repricing to increase your revenue if you see aggressive competition? Pricing's interesting. And I saw we had a couple questions on pricing. Um, generally, accountants don't help you with things like price modeling. That's more of like a financial analyst and those are hard to come by. Um, we do do that work. We will have conversations with you relative to price modeling to give you ideas on what you should charge based on what your cost of goods sold are. Um, the tricky thing about pricing, Chanel and anybody who's asking, is you don't know whether you're overpriced or underpriced until you know, right? This is a, the problem now is that's a market phenomenon, right? So a price is nothing more than what, a good price is nothing more than what someone's willing to pay, okay? If you got a product at 10 bucks, but you can convince people to buy it at 15, then 15 is the right price for you. If you have a product at 10 and it's flying off the shelf and you can't keep up with demand, then you're underpriced. Is that simple? And what do you do while you make adjustments? You try it at 12, you try it at 13, you try it at 14. Whoa, volume's down a lot at 14. You revert back to 12 and you figure it out. And you have to do this smart enough so that you don't confuse the consumer. Uh, so there are strategies on how to do this. And we, we help out with things like that. There are very specific firms who help out with things like that as well. But price is nothing more than what someone's willing to pay for it. Price is, by definition, an exchange of value. And so Jackie offers me and JBS a service. We both agree on value and price, and then we move on. And at some point in the future, we may want to renegotiate that value and price. And so price is not something as fixed as, you know, a dollar for a cup of lemonade. There's some pricing that is very fixed because of what people are used to. And then there are situations where people are not used to the market at all. Uh, and you really price based on what you think your value is worth. But keep in mind, if no one's buying your product or service, then you're overpriced. Or it's not a product or service that's in demand. So pricing is a tricky one. There's no right way to do it. 
you can use things like rule of thumbs and you can say, well, I want to operate based on what I learned about the industry at a 60% gross profit margin. So if you know that and you know your cost of goods sold, then it's just a little bit of math to determine, okay, this is the price I have to sell it at to make my gross profit margin, my, my profit after cost of goods sold, 60%. And that's a good way of doing it too. Does and that answer is, the question? Uh, actually, that's a, it, let us know if, if we didn't answer, if he didn't answer your question. But it's also great advice for services because some of us are consultants. We offer a service rather than a product. And um, great, uh, I, I was just thinking sometimes if you offer a service, they might just not know who you are going back to the sense of community and putting yourself out there. So the service might be needed, but they're gonna go with the name they know better. So you that, that goes back to digital marketing, which is the next session. Yep. And Claudia brought up a great point a great little economic phenomenon that we all call inflation, right? Because your expenses will rise over time, no matter what. And the question is, are they rising pretty steadily with inflation, which is normal, not a big deal? Or are they inflating faster than other things are? Give you some examples. Over the last 20 years, things like uh, payment for hourly workers has not moved as much as rent, and college tuition, right? So those things are, are moving at what we're calling hyperinflation, whereas goods like toilet paper and wages are moving at normal inflation rates. So you need to be paying attention to the market of your cost of goods sold and your raw material because that has to directly impact your price. If not, you'll find yourself out of business. I own a piece, uh, I own half of a fried chicken and a food business, right? best fried chicken you'll ever have in your life. I love that business. Um, and the problem we're facing now is since COVID, the price of chicken, the price of oil, everything's increasing. But our customer base is so used to paying a dollar for a piece of chicken. They've been doing it for 20 years. Um, it's going to be very challenging to adjust prices. If I were McDonald's, I wouldn't be worried because it's McDonald's, right? People are expecting a price increase. But in this little community, it's not going to be as easy. And so I have to become very strategic on how I increase price and try to deliver more value for the value that the consumer lost by paying uh, more for the same thing. So business can be tricky, um, just like everything else. And it requires a lot of innovative thought and, and innovative uh, operations and implementation because you know everybody understands that oil is more expensive chicken's more expensive they're going to the grocery store so they see it but they don't always understand why your product is getting more expensive so you know at the moment what i'm doing is looking for cost savings in other areas so i don't have to make drastic changes until i can formulate the right plan and then deliver that plan and what I'll do is say, if I want to raise prices 20%, something drastic, that's not going to happen overnight. You might do 5% every six months, right? And test the water. So try different things. And, and we're not going to just wake up one day and someone's going to go buy lunch and it's just going to be more expensive. We're going to have announcements. We're changing the way our store looks, right? We need to give reason for things like price increases. 
or else it can negatively affect your consumer base, especially if you have a large consumer base that has been longstanding. Awesome. We're down to our last eight minutes. And I know you have some more knowledge to impart on us about yeah. finance. We're gonna we're gonna jump in now that we understand assets. We're gonna jump into liabilities, which most small businesses don't carry and shouldn't carry. And you need to be very careful introducing debt to a small business. The same way you need to be careful introducing debt to your household, because there is productive debt, mm. like mortgages and car loans, and then there's unproductive debt like personal loans and credit cards, right? You want debt so that you can fuel your business. Debt does two things for your business. It first introduces cash, right? If you borrow money, boom, now you have cash. But it then introduces expense because that money needs to be given back and it needs to be given back usually in a standard period of time with interest. And depending on the type of debt, you know, credit card debt, we're talking 14 to 28% annual interest, that will drown you, especially if the cash that you received or the products that you bought inventory with that credit card debt is not making you more than 22%. If, you're, if your gross margin, this is a perfect example, you use debt to buy your cost of goods sold. If your gross profit margin is lower than the interest on your credit card, Simple math, you're losing money, right? You can't, you can't buy product at a hundred bucks at 22% annual interest rate and then not be making $22 on that product. You just lost money. So credit cards are the worst. Small business loans can be anywhere between 3% and 7%. And that's a lot more feasible. And those are good things for your business if you need the money. If you don't need the money, don't borrow the money because your accounting will get very complex. And the problem with debt is it can trick you into thinking the business is doing well because it introduces more cash to the business. But little do you know that cash needs to be paid back. And if business ever goes poorly, it's not like you would just close up shop. You still have this debt that you got to pay back, right? And it's tied to your social security number. It's not tied to your business's EIN because your business doesn't have enough credit yet when it starts up. So whether that business exists or not, that debt is yours, okay? And then finally, there's equity. And equity is basically just your assets minus your liabilities. And that's what gets you something like net worth, basically what you own minus what you owe. But in business, equity is a little bit more complicated. It, has, it carries five things usually, sometimes more. Capital stock is a fancy way of saying, this is how much money you started your business with. For most people, that's a hundred bucks because that's what they opened the bank account. With. And then it carries your profit for the year, current year earnings, okay? Then it carries your retained earnings. And that means any profit that you've ever had in the company that you didn't take out. So you ended 2020 with $10,000, you took out a thousand, you left 9,000 in retained earnings. So now we have a combination of what you started the business with, your profit year to date, and all the previous profits from previous years that you've left in the business. 
If you then subtract how much profit you've taken out of the business, owner's draw, and add any new contributions that you made after that capital stock. So maybe you opened the bank with a hundred bucks, but then three months later, your bank account's running a little bit low. You take a thousand from your personal checking, put it in your business banking. That's owner's contribution, okay? And the combination of all these five things basically tells you how much profit your business has made ever in the history of the company. And this is why I believe the balance sheet is the most important financial statement there is because it's telling you not just how much cash you have, how much cash you expect to come in based on receivables, inventory, supplies, what you own in terms of equipment, things that can be sold, real estate, long-term investments versus what you owe. And finally, the culmination of all of your profits. We could literally, if you have a good balance sheet, which you know, 95% of small businesses don't because they're not working with an accountant. If you had a good balance sheet, I could look at one paper, one piece of paper that is your business and tell you whether you have a good business or not. And I could probably with really good accuracy tell you where your business is going and where it came from. And that's a powerful piece of paper, okay? When we, when we look at stocks, remember I was a financial advisor, the thing we pay attention to most is the balance sheet. When I'm looking at Facebook stock and Apple stock, the first place I go to is their balance sheet because it tells me their financial strength, not just today, but historically. Does that make sense? The same way we might look at the same way we might look at Jackie's balance sheet and say, okay, Jackie's got some cash, some savings, some retirement accounts. She's got a mortgage. She's got a car loan. But you know, the assets outweigh the liabilities, which means Jackie has a positive net worth. And then the bigger the net worth, the better Jackie's doing. Right? You could use something like net worth to predict future income. Yeah. The same way you can use equity to predict future income. So this one's a big one. And I promise you, it's where most small business owners get twisted up a little bit because it's not as simple as a profit and loss statement where it's just income and expenses. It's much more complicated than that. It, it involves your investment. It involves the things you own, the things you don't own, the things you owe. Uh, and that can get complicated, especially as you grow. There are balance sheets that are pages long. And I hope you all achieve pages long balance sheets one day, because that's a good thing. <laughs> I think this has been extremely informative. We're down to like the last 90 seconds or so. We don't have to kick everyone out. We can stay an extra a minute or two or three in the session if you have questions. But I just want to see if you had any final thoughts or questions. Don't worry about the Q&A if you want to put everything in the chat. Um, I'm here monitoring the chat for Rob and uh, let us know. We do have a couple of things. We have someone who said this is very informative. We have Maria said in the beginning, I had people sending money to my personal account. Yep, because I knew, uh, yeah, based on past sell interaction. No, no bueno, Maria. We're losing value. She said in the past. She's <laughs> good, good. We're losing valuable data if that's happening. Yeah, but uh, she did reuse the profit to buy new materials. Uh-huh. Oh, good. Yeah. And I, I think, uh, oh, what, 
what would my balance sheet say about the management? She put a question mark and exclamation point. What, about what management? What do you, what do you mean by that specifically? Uh, I, uh, maybe Maria is referring to management of her funds and her business. Oh, well, she says she took five to six months off of yeah. making new products. So, you know, the balance sheet's only going to speak on the financials of the company. Um, but that in and of itself, you know, if you had several months that were really just expense months and they were not profitable, that will be reflected in your balance sheet. I can look at your balance sheet from August versus your balance sheet of today and tell you how well you did over the last few months without even looking at your revenue. Just by looking at how your cash changed and how your debt changed and how your inventory changed, I can tell you whether you had a good summer or a bad summer. Mm -hmm. And so it's very beneficial. And um, the last thing I'd like to say to you guys before I sign off for, for the week, because it's been a long week for me, is this is cool, uh, but I am not a lecturer, nor do I ever want to be a lecturer. I like to talk to people. So, you know, this was more me talking. I wouldn't consider this a conversation. Um, I think me and my team, we shine in conversations. I think we really would like to get to know anyone who's here. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I, that's what I'm interested in. That's why I did this because Jackie knows this is not my format. I like, I like seeing people. I like hearing from people. Um, so I really appreciate everyone being here and hopefully paying attention. And I hope you learned something. And if we can teach you anything else, just please reach out back to Jackie's mission. This is nothing more than empowerment through education. It just happens to be financial education. And I think Carly raised her hand, but I don't know if that was intentional. She did. Thank you. And Rob, I consider this as part of my payment for the great work we do together <laughs> at JBS, tricking you or convincing you to do these kinds of sessions so we can empower I'll, others to succeed. I'll take that. Yeah. And thank you, Maria. Thank you, everyone. So you can see how the sessions cover different aspects of small business. Uh, startups and development. So please um, take a nice break, grab some lunch. And if you want to look at digital marketing with someone who specializes in helping women start their online businesses, very interesting. So she has two different services she offers. Uh, Lindsay Hansen is next on digital marketing. And even if you don't sell online, digital marketing is still important for any business in some way, shape, or form. So I hope I see all of you at our next session at three, followed by Igor's session on the employee on human resources and the importance of that as we grow and the employee life cycle, especially because eventually you might use part-timers or subcontractors. If you grow your business, you just can't be a party of one anymore. Yeah. So join us for that. And happy hour. I have my tequila in the freezer ready for happy hour. And I invite Rob's team members for any of them who are here now to um, join us for the happy hour. We'll be able to see each other and actually just have fun conversations around our small businesses and how to grow them. Rob? Yeah, and next time, and next time <laughs> I have a client who has a tequila company. So we should have had this sponsored. I know he, he mentioned next, that when we were starting. <laughs> next one, next one around. All right, Rob, thank you so much. I will bug you after the weekend. You need to rest. The thank rest you. of you, I'll see you at the digital marketing session and then at the HR session and then at the happy hour. Ciao. Awesome. It's been a pleasure.